The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi there, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm your host for today. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living, Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my friend and co-host and one with all animals in spirit, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I feel like with that introduction, I want to answer wolf, meow, moo. (laughs) I love that. That's a wonderful answer. So I have uh, I'm I'm excited today because we're we're doing a deep dive with uh, Victoria Moran, the mainstream vegan, and uh, she's right here on Unity Online Radio. And um, I'm just I know that you formed an organization with her. I'm not going to tell I'm not going to give away the secret yet, but I can't wait to uh, to hear more about that. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I feel like we're having a crossover event, like on TV. When, when the characters from one TV show show up in another TV show and you get all excited because their, their universes mash, um, Big Universe <laughs> meets Main Street Vegan, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take things to another level. I love that too. I think uh, it's great for us to be on each other's shows and just kind of uh, spread the word about what's going on. Well, and I didn't tell you that I kind of cheated on you last week, Jim, because I went on Main Street Vegan to talk with Victoria. So the cat's out of the, oh, I can't say cat's out of the bag anymore either, can I? <laughs> well, well, I'm uh, I'm quite upset and I'm going to end the show right now. No, I think we'll stay on, but that's a nice <laughs> little plug uh, for both of the shows. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes up today. So we're talking about animals today in some of our conversation and spirituality and animals. And I wondered, do you have any funny pet stories? I thought it might be interesting to share some of those. I do. You know, we were mostly a cat house, but we did have a a series of hamsters when I was a child. And my sister and I used to have the funniest experiences with them. And I remember one day after my father had cut the back lawn, we had all those green glass grass clippings that were around. Right. So my sister and I made this huge maze. I mean, we spent hours putting together this maze for the hamster to run along because we thought he should be outside and have fresh air and not stuck in his cage or that silly little ball you'd put him in so he could run around the living room. So we spent the whole afternoon making the maze. We brought him out and he just sat down and refused to go through it. <laughs> 
And I think that's just like the perfect story for the fact that sometimes we have plans for what we think animals should do. Right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no humans. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's not in my plan today. Exactly. Exactly. How about you? Well, I have a story about my dog Muffin, who uh, I had for 16 years, and uh, she was my first my first dog. I was in my late 20s when I got her, but um, she she was such a smart dog. I had a townhouse that I lived in, and I rented out uh, rooms to some boarders. And one day, I came home, and my dog was sitting there nicely up against the gate that kind of separated my part of the house from the rest of the house, and uh, greeting me happily. Um, and it was just about then that one of my housemates told me that every day my dog would jump over the gate and ramble about the house. And when she knew what I, when I was coming back, she'd jump back behind the gate, pretend she'd been there all day. Is that crazy? I don't think so. I think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. But it's, it's, it, I thought it was hilarious when I found that out. I think it's the a perfect segue to what we're going to talk about today, too, which is this idea that animals and different species and the different beings on the planet, they have their own lives and they have their own things that they want to do and they have their own challenges. And sometimes we're always looking at it from the human expect expectations. Like, you know, I look at my cats and, and, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that, you know, and the cat's like, yeah, I am. I'm a cat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your dog was being a dog, but also apparently wanted to make sure it was in your good graces. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, when I was dating my wife, Anne, uh, my mother-in-law was a little bit worried that she had fallen too quickly in love with my dog, you know, instead of me. But <laughs> we you know, cleared that, that does up happen. after a while. <laughs> it does. It does happen. I think we fall in love with each other's um, companion animals sometimes. I'm pretty sure that's how I, I snagged my husband. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you have any quotes for today? I do. So I was thinking, you know, we're, we're talking today about this intersection of our health and the planet's health and animals' health and all of this. So I kind of followed suit. Here, here's the quote I have for today. Health and beauty are nature's gifts for living by her laws. Oh, that's wonderful. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Hmm. Very, very good. Very good. Mine is... My first, I have two of them, actually. My first one two. is... I do. I cheated. Loquacious Jim. All right. Loquacious well, it's not cheating. Jim. I cheated on you, so you can cheat on me. There we go. <laughs> all right. All, in, all good types of cheating. All right. What's number one? I am Groot from Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Groot. I love Groot, too. That's, that's the most ridiculous quote we've ever had. I am Groot. <laughs> and it says everything right there. It, I mean, does. Groot, it does. When Groot expresses, he says everything in just that. But I do have another one too. It is through this mysterious power that we too have our being, and we therefore yield to our neighbors, even to our animal neighbors, the same right as ourselves to inhabit this vast land. I feel like that's Albert Schweitzer. It is Sitting Bull, actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. I like it. It feels good for this episode. I am Groot. I am Groot. Let's go ahead and jump into the show, shall we? I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Keep it. We're going to keep it.
Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi friends, it's Martha Creek. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Lovely to have you here today. Lovely to be serving with you, creating a world that works for all. The, the sessions are relative to resiliency. Resiliency. And my favorite part of being a human and of my part of being in human beings with human beings is our capacity to resilience and how to cultivate that, how to even bring that out. And the idea today, uh, inspiration today, is based on the law of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. So then to, be, to develop my resiliency, I've got to find formal and informal ways to give. So formal ways to give, systematic ways to give, and then to stay open to less informal ways, maybe more spontaneous ways or more impulsive ways. So, for example, for me, um, when I when I get to thinking about the economy or a recession or something like that, like what could I do to offset that? So I've not been, um, um, I really do not spend a lot, uh, anything that's not essential. And I think, okay, I'm going to give something today. So I went to the bank, for example, and got out $400 in $20 bills. And every single person that I come across in service, um, somebody helping pack groceries, somebody at a restaurant, um, somebody um, at a car getting air in my tire, that $20 is going to go to them. So that is resiliency for me. It bolsters me in, in, in taking down some of my concerns about recession and other things to see what can I do today that's going to develop my ways of giving, how to extend that. And in this case, it was it was more important for me because then there's no, I don't know the people. It's not to get anything, anything from them. I had already got the service from them. I'd paid for the service and this was something extra. This was something extra taking me across it um, to just get me out of some of my habits and to say, okay, for me to have uh, more and more ever-increasing formal ways of giving and more and more ever-growing informal ways of giving, less structured. This also includes saying thank you to express gratitude and ever how you do it. I just put in the mail 100 cards, postcards, and written, handwritten notes, stamped, and with little hearts on them, stickers, to thank people that are serving the world, that are serving businesses and families and congregations and teachers and healthcare workers and people that have been meaningful in my life, um, to express gratitude, to say thank you. And to do it in a big lump, to do it like that, it felt so good. It seemed to brighten the day of the person in the post office that said, oh my gosh, how long did it take you to write these? So informal ways to give, not just money, but to give thanks, to give appreciation, to give gratitude, and to do this daily for my own sake, for my own building of my own resilience. And... You are masters at this. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this segment, you already have got a leg up on the of the of the power 
and the empowerment and the delight of giving. So dial it up, friends. Dial it up. I'll see you next segment. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Funniest thing guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everybody. My name is Edward Biagioti, and I am the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. It is a pleasure for me to be here with you on Big Universe. And I love talking about animals. I love being around animals. I find that they're such an important part of life. One of the things that I love about animals is the fact that they are so present in the moment and full of love and joy and energy and enthusiasm. The other day, my friend um, Stephen Tom Thorpe, who's been a guest on my show, he's an actor and assistant director out here in Los Angeles, and he does other things as well. But we were walking down the street talking about these spiritual principles, and out of the doorway ran a, a chihuahua or some sort of mix with chihuahua. And the look on this dog's face that it was in the afternoon and obviously this dog had been in the house long enough. But it came tearing around that, the corner with the biggest smile on its face, so full of joy, so full of um, zeal. You know, Charles Fillmore is a big fan of the word zeal, Unity founder or co-founder Charles Fillmore. And to me, when I looked at that dog's face, the how joyful and present it was and enthusiastic about what it was doing, it just showed me zeal. And you could see when, when an animal is full of joy and delight, which is much of the time when they're treated pr properly, especially dogs and, and, the, and cats as well are so loving and so great to have around. And when you could see when that joy is moving through their body, it's just such a pure electricity. It's you, I just can't help but smile when I'm walking down the street. Sometimes when I'm, you know, I might be having one of those days where I'm having trouble finding my joy, and I'll look down and I'll see a smile on a dog's face, and maybe the owner's not, it may not even be smiling, but you can just tell that dog is smiling and so joyful as it trots along. I like this book by Mary Cupferly called God Will See You Through. And I was just reading a part of this book where she says, as you continue to know that God is in every experience, you will see that truly God is there in the seeming difficulty in everyone involved, be it child or partner or friend or so-called problem person. You will see that God is there in the appearance of illness or pain itself, you will see that God is there in a time of loneliness or discouragement. You will see that God is there despite the appearance of lack or insufficiency. You will see God in every experience and his presence and power will come directly through the experience to provide whatever is most needed, helpful, desirable, and good. And when I think about that dog and a lot of dogs that I know, they're so full of love. They don't care who you are. They don't care what level of achievement you've had in the world. They don't care if you're, quote, the problem child or this or that or the other thing. It's just love pouring out unconditionally. And I think that's what I love the most. I mean, I, I've been speaking a lot about dogs. I've been spending a lot of time with dogs lately, but my cat was such a healer as well. Just so full, a different kind of unconditional love, but just that purring and that loving and always knowing when to come and sit on my lap. And that unconditionality of just wanting 
to find someone to share a loving moment with is one of the many reasons why I love animals and I feel like they're so important to have around. My co-host Daryl Fazzaro always has many animals in his home and it is just, he has really taught me how important it really is because at the very least they remind me that my problems are all in my head and that love is the answer. Have a great day, everyone. It's been a pleasure being here with you on Big Universe. Check out Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, also on Unity Online Radio. And now it's time for our interview. Listed among Veg News' magazine's top 10 living vegetarian authors, Victoria Moran has written 13 books on veganism and eclectic spirituality, including the iconic Main Street Vegan and the international bestseller, Creating a Charmed Life. Featuring Featured twice on Oprah, Moran hosts the award-winning Main Street Vegan Show right here on Unity Online Radio. She produced the 2019 documentary, A Prayer for Compassion, and is director of Main Street Vegan Academy, training vegan lifestyle coaches and educators since 2012. She lives in New York City with her husband, interfaith ministerial candidate William Melton, rescue dog Forbes, and rescue pigeon thunder i'm so happy that you have a rescue pigeon that is so fun i am so happy that we have a rescue pigeon too <laughs> i'm learning a lot about somebody who lives in a really different body i can i can definitely understand that so thunder tell me how, how did you wind up with thunder my daughter was doing wildlife rehab for mammals uh, small mammals in new york city and when the wild bird fund here got extra birds, they would send them to her. So um, Thunder came with a group of fledglings and all the others flew away and he didn't. So she took him through with another group of fledglings and he still couldn't fly. So the vet ascertained that he's blind in one eye and he can fly up and then think, whoops, I can't steer and doesn't go any further than that. So he is uh, an at-home pigeon. Well, that is that's definitely unique, I think. I think that's definitely unique. Well, welcome to Big Universe, Victoria. I'm so happy to have you on the show, a fellow Unity Online radio colleague. It's it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. So I, I want to start in by learning a little bit about your spiritual path and um, and what your journey has been like. What, how did you get to where you are and, and what you're doing now? I think it went back to the woman who was hired to live with us and take care of me when I was a little kid, because it was before daycare, both my parents worked. So um, this amazing woman moved in with us. She was grandmother age back in the 1950s. So she had gone in uh, unity all the way back to Myrtle Fillmore's days. She had, wow. had met Myrtle a couple of times uh, before her death and Charles Fillmore had been her minister. So she came to me with all of this spirituality. She raised me on reincarnation. So I was always an odd kind of kid. Uh, she also told me about vegetarianism when I was uh, five years old and came home from school with the four food groups. She said, well, I, I could take you to the Unity Inn and get you a hamburger made out of peanuts and you'd think you were having beef. Now, the only problem was the Unity Inn was about 40 miles outside Kansas City and Dee Dee didn't drive. Oh, That's a walk. Yeah. So we never <laughs> made it there, but it, but it, it stayed in me. And then at 17, when I started reading about yoga, I, I was just 
completely carried away. I wanted to be a yogi. And, and the three books in the Kansas City Public Library at the time all said that if you wanted to be serious about yoga, you needed to be vegetarian. So it all started back then and continued on through lots of, of searching. I was accepted into the ministerial school at Unity at 19, but I was a practicing binge eater. And I was so nervous about this thing that was going to happen that was so wonderful that I, I gained a huge amount of weight and ran away. And I, I moved to Illinois and worked in the library of the Theosophical Society. And later I got a degree in comparative religions and I went to Nepal and India and Tibet and studied the wow. spirituality of daily life and started writing books. And now I'm talking to you. Well, that is an awesome journey. That sounds amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm curious, what practices are important to you as you go through the day or as you approach life? Oh, what a beautiful question. For me, the center of my spirituality is this yogic concept of ahimsa, which is yoga's first moral precept, which is basically kindness. And so I try to bring that to mind first thing. It's important to me to get up early in the morning. I know not everybody likes morning, <laughs> but it just seems like there's this very special time early on when even though I understand that God lives in me all the time, the communication is just better when mm. it's really quiet and the world hasn't uh, intruded yet. And meditation is important, but I'm looking at meditation a little bit differently these days. And I'm feeling that instead of, okay, I want to be spiritual, I'm going to start meditating, that maybe the way in needs to be, I am going to act myself into thinking differently rather than try to think myself into acting differently. And I heard someone say not long ago, if you're having trouble with meditation, clean your house. And so I do meditate every day, but I've prioritized recently the more active kinds of pursuits of just keeping everything in the outer world supportive of what's going on in the inner world. And I'm also a big fan of saying yes. And I've learned this a little bit from my daughter, I think, who's an actor. Uh, she was doing background work for a movie called Revolutionary Road. This was probably 15 years ago. And the director saw her and liked how she looked and said, can you swing dance? And she said, yes, I can. She had never done swing dance <laughs> in her natural life, but she had taken ballet, tap, jazz, all that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, 50-50 that she might be able to do this thing. So they auditioned her on the spot. She got the part. She still gets royalties. And I think about that that when, when life presents me with something, like when Reverend Sarah said, do you want to be on this show? When, you know, something comes in, it's just like, yes, yes is the first answer. And then if I need to do some uh, a little studying on the side to be up for it, there's usually time for that. So I recently got my hands on Victoria's first book. Ooh. You did not. <laughs> I did. And so, you know, what's really interesting, I came to Victoria's books before I met her, 
And so it was just delightful to, to meet her and to start to get to know her and hear her voice in her books because they're wonderfully written and accessible. And, and, and I don't feel like Victoria's preaching at me. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed is the title of Victoria's first book was called Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic. And this line of compassion, kindness kind of runs through all of, all of the things that I, I hear on your show, that I read in your books. Can you talk a little bit about how you define compassion and why it is so important to you? Yes, I love the definition, you know, from the Latin to feel with. And I think any of us who have suffered, any of us who have gone through difficult times, which most people have, can empathize with somebody else suffering, somebody else going through a difficult time. And sometimes that's all we can do for somebody, you know, somebody's hurting, we want to change it, we want to fix it, we want to make it go away. And we can do what we can in those ways. But when we're at the end of our human powers, what we can do is to feel with and, and to be with that person, that being in that situation. And to me, that's really what I want most from God. I mean, I just want to know that in whatever I'm going through, I'm not alone. And if I want that from God, I figure maybe that's what I'm supposed to do for his or her other children. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so it's a, it's a definitely a thing that runs through all your work, compassion. And I know we're going to, I'm just going to tease a little bit later. We're going to talk about a, an organization that you and Sarah are, are a part of. Um, tell me, how does that extend to animals in your experience? We just, we have a couple of minutes and we're going to go deeper into this in a little bit, but how does that expand to, to animals? For me, Jim, it almost has to expand to people because people can be difficult. And No, know. that's not true. <laughs> and animals have this incredible purity in, in um, the writings of Teilhard de Chardin, he explained from both a scientific and um, religious point of view, his, his view that as we come from the creator and we evolve through these various forms, that, that humans are really on our way back to God. We're, <laughs> you know, we need to get there. But because of that, we're also the farthest away. And so when I look into my dog's eyes, it's so easy to see God. So to expand that kindness to non-human beings came really easy to me. Part of it came from Didi, this woman who, who basically raised me. And we always took in the um, injured birds and the stray animals and, <laughs> and whatnot. And it, it's just been the way it is in my life. Why would the fact that someone is living in a body that isn't homo sapiens really make any difference? You know, we're mm. finally getting to the point where we see that color, race, ethnicity doesn't matter. Well, neither does species, in my opinion. Well, I love that uh, you, you say that someone living in a uh, an animal body, and uh, I just love how you put that. That was wonderful. So um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Unity Online Radio. This is Big Universe.
Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. So, Victoria, I'm curious, how did you become, I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, learning from uh, the woman who was a caretaker for you about vegetarianism. How did you, when did you make the decision to become vegetarian? And when did you make the decision to become vegan? And maybe you can also define the difference for people that might not know. Sure. Well, a vegetarian is a person who doesn't eat anybody who had a face or a mama. And this means beings who live on the land or in the air, but they might consume uh, animal, what we used to call byproducts, eggs, dairy products. A vegan doesn't consume anything from an animal. So to say that in a positive way is uh, vegans live from the beautiful offerings of the plant kingdom. And according to the latest science, do so uh, with a lot of health, longevity, and vitality. So you asked about uh, my transition. I was 19 and I had just come back from London. I had gotten as far as pescatarian because in London I had been studying yoga and there were lots of vegetarian restaurants and vegetarianism had been a big thing in England for a couple hundred years, even at that point because of the relationship with India. And uh, veganism actually had started there in the 1940s, although I hadn't heard of veganism yet. So I, I dropped the fish and became vegetarian. And when I heard about veganism, meaning that I would be leaving off the eggs and the dairy, I completely concurred philosophically. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't get that like, okay, I know meat, an animal has to be killed. But eggs and dairy don't kill anybody. You know, ultimately they do. Uh, for a cow to give milk, she has to first give birth, just like any other mammal. And in, in terms of eggs, the hens don't live very long. They end up in, uh, in the slaughterhouse and the little boy chicks don't even make it that far. So philosophically, I was on board. But practically, I was just horrified. Like, how can I do this? And also, this was the early 1970s. But even now, people hear about it like, okay, I get it. What do I do? Yeah, well, I was going to ask you that. How do you, how do you make that transition from, from being consuming meat to, to the next step to the, to the veganism? Right. Well, I think there are three ideas. First is you have to want it. Second is you have to get information. And third is you have to get support. So the reason that desire comes first is if we want to do something, we figure out a way to do it. It doesn't matter how crazy it is, how much it costs, what other people, if we want to do it, we're going to do it. So how do you get that kind of desire? There are four basic legs on the table of, of veganism, of, of uh, cruelty-free, compassionate living. So one is going to be the animals. And if you're an animal person and animal suffering really speaks to you, then I would suggest that you look at a documentary like Earthlings 
or if that's too heavy because it shows the animal cruelty as it is, then something a little bit lighter like speciesism, the movie, and let that invite you in through the animal door. Now, if you're a health person or you're concerned about your health, or maybe your doctor said your cholesterol is getting up there or whatever it is, then I recommend a documentary called uh, Forks Over Knives. And if you are an environmentalist, if the earth and the plight of the earth really speaks to you, I'm going to recommend two documentaries. One is called Cowspiracy. And the other that's brand new and actually the number one download on Netflix right now is called Seaspiracy, because sometimes we forget about what's going on with, with everybody who's, who's living under the sea. And then if it's your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, your desire to see, I wonder if God has any interest in what I choose to eat. Uh, a film that actually I was, was part of and very proud of is called A Prayer for Compassion. And if you can't remember all those titles, just Google Google vegan documentaries, and you'll see a okay. slew of them. But just follow with where your heart is. When you've got the desire, you'll get the information. So the information is all over online. Uh, a website I love is called nutritionfacts.org. That's Dr. Michael Greger, MD. It's if you have questions, if you're thinking, well, it sounds good, but I'm diabetic, or you know, I'm whatever. That's okay. You go there, you read. Dr. Greger's got you covered. Um, and, and a book of mine I'll recommend, Main Street Vegan, everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in the real world. It's about nine years old now, but it's a, kind of a classic. So Main Street Vegan is really helpful. And the PETA website. I know a lot of people think, oh, PETA, those are those crazy animal rights people. You know what? Those crazy animal rights people have got such amazing information about how to go vegan, depending on the kind of person you are. You know, if you're somebody who just loves fast food and you're like, I want something that's like a bacon chili cheese dog, they'll help you get that. And if you're like, you know what, I eat really healthfully and I'm looking at this thing and I want to do it healthfully. Well, they're going to help you do that too. So that's a great resource. And finally, you want support. So there's incredible support online. There's probably more support locally than you know, if you look up meetup groups and, and that kind of thing. And certainly something like we're going to be talking about soon, the Compassion Consortium, where people can come together who share some of these views can really uh, have your back as you change. And I think they, they've really come a long way in terms of the food that you can eat. Even if you're a burger person, you know, the Beyond, Beyond Burgers and Beyond Meat and all those kinds of things, they really taste really good. I mean, you know, it seems like it's been developed um, that there are more options for people. There certainly are. It's a lot easier than when I started. I bet it was, yeah. <laughs> and the cheeses too. You know, we've had some fairly decent vegan meats for a long time, but vegan cheese used to be really bad. I mean, it used to make Velveeta look good, but those days are over. There are brands like Miyoko's and Kite Hill and Treeline. I mean, you could serve them to French people. They're so good. <laughs> and you know what's, what's funny to me, too, when I started this journey is I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do I replace certain things that were in my diet? Like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Like, I, I don't know what to eat. And, and I realized that a lot of the side dishes and a lot of the other things that I ate already were vegetarian or vegan. 
right? So there's that kind of thing of the 400 or 500 vegetables, you know, that are out there in the world and all of those other things. But what was really hard for me was I grew up in Omaha in the 1980s where all of the food that I ate came from a can or a bag in the freezer mm -hmm. or some sort of box, right? Like my, my grandma uh, fed us spam. I was eating the hamburger helper, the Lechoy Chinese food, you know, all of those type of things. And so sometimes what Victoria's talking about and why I think she's been so helpful for my journey is the education piece of like what food is out there if you grew up being fed all this stuff from a box, like I was, um, you know, my first tendency was to go look for vegan boxes of stuff, but also to be able to say like, wow, what is that weird looking vegetable in the grocery store that I've never seen before? And what the hell do I do with it when I take it home? And so that was kind of fun for my husband and I, because we all of a sudden there were these things we didn't even know existed. So you, is your husband a vegan as well? No. So my husband is so addicted to Beyond Burgers now that he got stuck <laughs> in Beyond Burgers. He oh, loves really? them. I think that, I think that for many of us, Jim, you know, like one of these four pillars that Victoria is talking about, you know, kind of pops up, whether it's the animal or it's the health or it's the environment or it's spiritual or something happens. And you're like, wait, I need to change what I'm eating a little bit. And it doesn't happen like a switch. It didn't mm. happen for me. Like, okay, all of a sudden I have awareness and poop, I'm vegan. Um, it took, it took me a while. And so, you know, it, it was a, a number of different steps just as I got more aware and got more educated and got more support. And my husband's been on that kind of journey too. So now I would say he probably eats vegetarian or vegan four to five nights a week. Mm -hmm. Right. And he used to, he's Italian, Irish. He used to eat meat at every meal. Right. So, right. so often I think it starts and Victoria could probably better speak to this with her experience, but it starts as just trying different things and starting to make adjustments as opposed to it's a, it's an on or off switch. Would you say that's accurate, Victoria? Oh, I absolutely would. And the evolution is so interesting because when I think about what I eat today versus what I ate when I went vegetarian in 1969 and vegan in 1983, I mean, it's entirely different. A lot of the food I eat today, they didn't even have back then. And I think when you go to make the switch, you can look at it in one of two ways. One is if you're just really concerned about some favorite food that's a staple in your life. Well, this is America, so let's say pizza. Pizza. You know? oh I thought God. of that just when you said it. Yeah, how am I, well, I going to live without pizza? Well, don't live without pizza. You know, you, there, there are wonderful um, vegan frozen pizzas that are as good as anybody else's kind of frozen pizza. And then there, if you want a really good pizza, you know, you need to seek out a, a restaurant or you need to make it yourself, a diet cheese and some of the others melt um, for pizza. So, you know, like, okay, I'm cool with the pizza or the mm, ice cream. One, yeah. Ice, I mean, vegan ice cream is great. It it's was so much the, better. <laughs> one of the first things we got, the people at the farm, a hippie commune in Tennessee made this thing called ice bean back in the seventies. And, mm. and everybody's just built on that ever since. And now the ice cream is fabulous. And then if you're really wanting to practice ahimsa, practicing kindness, you know, to your own arteries as well, well, just, just going vegan will help that because there's no cholesterol in anything vegan because cholesterol is made in a liver and plants don't have livers. But if you really want to be health promoting, there are what I call the five fitness food groups. They're vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, which is a fancy word for beans, and nuts and seeds. 
And so from those, you think, oh, that seems really boring. But the English language, where we have the King James Bible and Shakespeare, only has 26 letters. So you take these five fitness food groups and you just make so much beautiful, beautiful food. You can keep it simple. You can be gourmet. There's a place for everybody. And do you have you have recipes in your books? I know that some of them do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Main Street Vegan has an easy recipe at the end of. I like of easy the- recipes. Yeah, yes. at, easy at the, yeah. has to be easy for me. Yeah, me too. Because I, I just, you know, at this point in my life, life is such a spiritual adventure that I am not as willing to spend the amount of time preparing food that I did when. I was raising a family, you know, it was mm-hmm. just different. And so also for people who are really creative in the kitchen and, and they want to do more of that, there are so many great cookbooks. Uh, I've got one, the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook, but oh my goodness, they're just all over the place. And and you can, everything from quick and easy to super gourmet. You know, I have to admit, I don't like to cook. And my husband will laugh when he hears this because it's very, very rare that I'm in front of the in the <laughs> in front of an oven unless I'm baking something. And I remember reading something in one of your books that said, "Eat less food made in factories and more that grew in dirt." And I took that to heart, and I started just going into the produce section and getting a lot of stuff that I didn't have to cook, and I could eat berries, and I could eat greens, and I could eat all of these kind of things. What what would you what recommendations would you have for people who aren't necessarily the cookbook types? <laughs> um, no, because some people are. So my sister, oh my God, she has so many cookbooks and hours and hours in the kitchens creating delightful things. And me, I am lazy because I want to get back on the computer and do another big universe podcast. Uh, so what <laughs> so what recommendations would you make for people who who are lazy like me? Yeah, well, it's very simple. You know, when you think about how hard it is to eat meat, it's very difficult. You've got to thaw it, and then you've got to treat your kitchen like a hazmat place because, you know, get it all clean and sanitized and everything. And it has to be cooked at the exact right temperature, and you've got to be all these safety regulations. But with plant food, it's so simple because fruit, it's already been cooked. The sun cooked it. So you just eat it. And that's good. And and certainly, um, I love wholemeal salads. So that means it's easy to make a salad, especially, you know, if you buy the stuff in the bag, you don't even have to wash it. But you toss in some stuff with oomph in it. You know, sometimes people will say, "Ooh, you're vegan. You must eat a lot of salad. Like that's really bad. <laughs> and I guess it is if that means lettuce and tomato. But how about putting in some steamed sweet potato or some very lightly steamed broccoli or both? And then you put in some um, hemp seeds and some uh, pumpkin seeds and, you know, some really nice dressing. I mean, that's a meal. That's beautiful. Uh, or you can steam the vegetables. Or, you know, it can start really, really simple. And then people always want to know about protein. People are, are concerned about protein. Right. You must because, get a lot of people saying, well, you're just, you're not going to have enough protein in order yeah. to, to keep well, going. You, you can have your protein intake actually checked on a computer. You just write down what you eat for three days and they'll analyze it for you. And I have never known a vegan to 
get that report back that they're not getting enough protein. Protein is really very easy to get. Um, there is one nutrient you do need to supplement. It's not reliably found in the plant kingdom and people over 50 should be supplementing whatever their diet. And that is a vitamin B12. It's a mm. strange little vitamin. It's made from bacteria. So you need to be taking the B12. But in terms of protein, it is in everything that grows up out of the ground. Dark leafy greens have more protein per calorie than beef. Now, admittedly, they don't have a lot of calories, but beans are full of protein and beans and grains together, you get exponential protein. And as you go through your day, you have some oatmeal in the morning, you put some soy milk in your coffee, you have some beans on your salad at lunch and lots of those leafy greens. You have maybe uh, tempeh or, or tofu or, or uh, like a bean burrito for dinner. I mean, you're acing the protein thing. And there's another documentary. I feel like I'm, you know, Roger Ebert or something talking about <laughs> movies, but it's called The Game Changers. And this is about elite athletes whose diets are 100% plant exclusive. Hmm. And if they can get Olympic gold medals and become champion bodybuilders and be the strongest man in the world on plants, you know, I think we can make it to the gym and, and do our 5k on plants too. Well, I don't think I can do a 5k right now on anything, but I will work on that. I will work on that. So uh, many people are learning about the intersections between the health of the planet and our food system. I just wondered, what are your thoughts on that? I think that we're all discouraged afraid and almost numb when we hear about environmental crises. Certainly climate change, we hear about um, the destruction of the rainforest, we hear about species going extinct. It's so depressing that we either don't want to think about it at all or, or we don't know what to do. And we try to do everything we can possibly do. And yet we have in the back of our head I'm not really doing anything that's really going to make a difference. The good news is something that can and will make a difference right now today, powerfully going forward, is to get the animals and the animal products off your plate. And if you can't do that lickety split overnight, you know, young people do that. They watch one video and it's like, wow. I don't want to be part of this anymore. And the next day they're vegan and they never look back. Some of us who are a little older, you know, <laughs> we need to do things in stages. It's all good. However you need to do it works. But we must start on this path because when we are no longer supporting the animal agriculture industry and the so-called seafood industry, what we are doing is lifting such a burden from the planet we knew back in 2006 from a UN Food and Agriculture Organization study called Livestock's Long Shadow that animal agriculture puts more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere than all transportation combined. This is tremendous. And for all the other things to happen that need to happen to heal the planet, we're gonna need the cooperation of governments and corporations and entities larger than us that other than just 
boycotting a product or writing an email, we don't really have control over, but we absolutely have control over what goes into our shopping cart and it will make a difference. You can go to bed every night feeling like at least today, planet, you and I are on the same team. Awesome. Well, I promised that we would get to this, so I must get to the new spiritual group that you and Sarah are a part of called Compassionate Consortium. Um, Compassionate Consortium. The Compassion Consortium. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So can you both tell me about that a bit? Well, Sarah and I are half of a four founding member team. Uh, The other people are um, interfaith minister, Reverend Erica Allison, and my husband, who is almost an interfaith minister, William Melton. And it was actually his idea that there be some sort of how we thought of it in the beginning was kind of like church for animal people, (laughs) because some people feel a little bit out of place in their religious communities where they might feel very happy to be there, generally speaking, but the idea that the coffee and cookies after service are animal products or what happened to me once I I was part of a church and, and it was announced that a wonderful gift had been made to the church and everybody's excited. And then I see this woman that I knew She's parading out onto the stage in this full-length mink coat. And it's like, what? I mean, what what happened to her? Why is she there? And then I'm hearing it was this mink coat that was donated to the church and you can, you know, bid on it. And I was just sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I know I'm one of two vegans (laughs) that I knew in that church at that time, but lots of people don't wear fur coats, but you know, here it, here it is in a, a church. And so people have had experiences like that. So some of them have actually left their, their spiritual tradition and others are there, but they just need something else. So the Compassion Consortium seeks to be a spiritual home or second home for people who have this sense that other than human beings matter to, they matter to God and they ought to matter to us. So we're starting on Zoom, the fourth Sunday of every month, and April 25th is our maiden voyage. I was going to say, I think what's really interesting to me about this group is you don't have to be at the final state of being a a perfect 100% vegan to attend. So the, the idea is that we're supporting vegans, we're supporting vegetarians, we're supporting animal advocates. If you're curious about this, if what Victoria is talking about today hits you somewhere in your heart, this idea of this kind of body, mind, spirit link to other beings, and you haven't found a place yet that has helped you kind of figure that out, or, or you haven't found people that understand when you want to have that conversation about like, hey, why are we having a pig roast at church? Like these kind of questions, if, if you raise those and you're kind of met with blank stares, Compassion Consortium is that place to have those conversations. It's that place to get support from us if you're making this journey and to learn, right? That there may be people who are listening right now who are like, wait, I, I, I don't know what, what this is all about. 
but I love animals. So I think that, you know, by going to our website, compassionconsortium.org, by coming to one of the worship services, uh, we have book and film clubs that are going to be happening as well with really great uh, people in this industry. We have uh, Fletcher Harper from Green Faith is going to be with us in May talking about this intersection of the planet and animals and humans. So I really think it's a place to to get resources, to get support, and also to have a really nice worship service once a month that's got meditation and music and conversation and fellowship and all those kind of things that you can be assured of is interspecies. In fact, we're having a little tiny pre-launch of it that will happen tonight. Actually, uh, it will have happened by the time this airs. Uh, but we have a we have a rooster coming. So so the idea that truly talking about interspecies church, right, your cats, your dogs can Mm. attend sitting on your lap. And it doesn't just have to be church. If you're Jewish or Buddhist or you're no religion at all, you know, all of that. We use the word church there very, very, very widely. Well, awesome. We only have about two minutes left. And I want to get from Victoria. If there's one thing that you would suggest that people can do. Um, to change their lifestyles or to have more compassion in this realm, what would you say? I would say watch one of those documentaries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to name some of them again. Earthlings, A Prayer for Compassion, Speciesism the Movie, Veducated, Cowspiracy, Forks Over Knives, What the Health, Seaspiracy, The Game Changers. Get these movies into your psyche and then Make your own decision and see where you come down on this. I think it's going to be really interesting. What's your favorite uh, vegetarian or vegan uh, food? Mushroom stroganoff. Ooh. That ben and Jerry's good. ice cream. Ben and Jerry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ben, and Jerry's ben and Jerry's non-dairy ice cream with brownies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Victoria. It's been great having you. It's been wonderful. Thank you both. For more great information about Victoria Moran, go to MainStreetVegan.net. Make sure you listen to our Main Street Vegan show right here on Unity Online Radio. And again, to find out more about the Compassionate Consortium, go to www.CompassionConsortium.com. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses, and I help people create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, listeners. I'm Jim Lefter with Sarah Bowen. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. 
Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.